0: If you don't know me, I'm Andrew Sharp, I am an elder here also, Um, and uh, our text this morning is Acts 20. Um, We have been going through the book of Acts, which is a chronicle of the early church and its growth, and it's... It's a long, sprawling book, and there's lots of action, and there are miracles, and there are mundane details, and it's very specific, and in some places it's ambiguous, especially at moments where I would like them to be really specific as to what is happening but uh, it is very historically accurate and it's, it's such an important book because we have, we have Jesus' incarnation and he's, he has a following and he's crucified as a criminal and that would seem to be the end of it But it's not. He rises from the dead. He appears to hundreds of people. And what do we do with that? What do we do? um, What what did his followers do with that mind-blowing circumstance? How do you make a church out of that? How do you distill that message to all these different cultures. So the book of Acts tells that story. And it's, it's a very fitting text for after day camp week. If you're new to the church and you weren't familiar with day camp, you certainly got a flavor of it uh, with the slideshow. There are crafts and dramas and lots and lots of singing, and lots of games. We had over 145 registered campers. I think that probably was higher, but that was as of Monday morning. It is a, it is a major undertaking for our church. It is a labor of love. Amazing things happen during the week. Amazing things for the campers, amazing things for the staff. And it's, it's such a profound experience to to convey to kids how much God loves them and, and why Jesus came to save humankind and bring the world back to himself. And it's just, it's a very rich and wonderful experience. And now it's ended for another year. And we as a church kind of take a deep breath And we think ahead to what's next. We think about the fall and all the things that God's going to do in this place. We think about the programs that we're going to have for children, for youth, men's ministry, women's ministry. It's, It's a time of transition the new school years in sight. We're sort of on the doorstep of what's new. You know, something that's going to be very different in the matter of a few weeks. Young men and women go off to college. That's a huge transition. But even just going from fourth grade to fifth grade is a big transition. I always feel that this time of year feels m- more like, like New Year's than New Year's does. Because we're just changing the calendar on January 1st, but here we're really changing a lot of significant things that are happening in our lives. It might be my favorite time of year. It really might be. And Acts 20 is also about Transition we see Paul addressing the leaders of the church at Ephesus, and he's basically telling them goodbye. He's not going to be seeing them again. The chapter uh, begins after a number of wild events that are depicted in chapter 19. There we see people who are trying to drive out demons in Jesus' name, but they're not followers of Jesus um, So basically, these magicians were trying to name drop Jesus to demons, and the demons are like, well, we know Jesus, and we know Paul, we don't know you guys. Um, And we also have a near riot that happens because there are artisans who are making statues of the Greek gods, like Artemis, and people are starting to be drawn away from believing in the Greek gods to believing in the true God and in Jesus based on Paul's teaching and the teaching of the disciples and the artisans are not pleased. They are losing revenue. And so there's nearly a riot that happens there. So we pick up in chapter 20 and early on in the chapter we have a rather weird story about Peter, I'm sorry, about Paul teaching in Troas. And he is, he's in a house, he's on the, uh, an upper room, which they tell us is on the third floor. And, and I was going to summarize this, but I just want to read the text just because it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending, excuse me, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. Interesting detail. It was well-lighted. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third floor and was taken up dead. Now, Paul goes down, I guess they all go down to see what happens to Eutychus, and Paul picks him up in his arms, and Eutychus is not dead, and he's, he's okay. Um, it's a very weird little anecdote. I, I'm sure if Paul was like reading a draft of Acts, he'd be like... You have to put that in. I mean, how about, you know, just that I'm preaching late at night, and and I healed this kid. Um, I think it's also, you know, as you as I was preparing this sermon, there's nothing more cautionary about not going long in a sermon <laughs> than when you have a text like this right at the outset. Okay, okay. Um, I mean... No one's going to fall out a window, we're on the first floor, but you know, you slump over in your seat. And rather not have that happen. Um, but, really the text I want to focus on uh, begins at verse 15. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios, the next day we touched at Samos, and on the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. Which is sort of interesting. I mean, he doesn't he stop at Ephesus to talk to them there but he asked the elders to to meet him and when they came to him he said to them you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel and the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you on this day that I am innocent by the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Take careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So that's not a, a joyful address that Paul was making to the Ephesian leaders. And oftentimes in, in the book of Acts and in Paul's letters, we hear Paul as the evangelist, especially in Acts. But here we're hearing Paul, in the role of pastor, talking to a church that he counseled and mentored and taught. He reminds them that he lived with them, that he taught them everything. The good news of the gospel, definitely. But he also gave them some tough love. He held nothing back. And while I see this as, a, as an emotional speech, Paul, at least to me, sounds like he's at peace with how he has led this church. And we see him looking ahead to the possibility of his own persecution, fully recognizing dangers ahead. He doesn't see his life to be of any value apart from what he's called to do. He wants only to be able to finish the course that's laid out for him. So he realizes he is turning a page here. He tells the Ephesus leaders that he's innocent of the blood of all, which just means that he, he held nothing back in teaching them, that he, he taught and counseled them in every way he could, and his conscious, conscience is clear when it comes to his work with them from whatever happens with that church from this point forward, he he feels like he's done his best with them. But then it kind of gets interesting because as if he's struggling internally with the idea of letting go, he warns them of dangers, of forces that will seek to divide them. And he kind of chillingly predicts that some of that danger is within their own ranks. There are people who are going to bring false teaching and kind of draw disciples to themselves. And Paul is, as as okay as he is with what he's done with that church, I think he's clearly troubled by the realization that he's not going to be there to protect them or to teach them or to guide them through the turmoil that he expects will come. It's hard to let go. And it, it, it is so apparent in this text how hard it is for Paul to, to let go, even though he knows he has to. When, when children go off to school in the fall where young men and women go off to college, where people go into the working world for the first time, you know, the influence that parents have, it becomes diluted. Because we were the primary voice, and now there are a lot of other voices competing for our kids' attention. Some of them are going to be good and positive, good friendships, supportive, and some will potentially be harmful. You've you've no doubt heard of the term helicopter parenting. Describes the tendency that many parents to be almost hyper-vigilant over the activities of their kids. That term did not exist when I was a kid. No one talked about helicopter parenting. I'm, this is a different world. When I was a kid, parents, at least where I grew up, they basically let their kids free-range like chickens. And there, there was a minimal amount of supervision. Um, but in a lot of ways, it's just a scarier world. I uh, To... Um, a sports radio station and one of the people on the station said, well, I, I didn't have a mother growing up, I had a smother. And I'd never heard that before. <laughs> um, I don't remember a lot of smothers among my friends, families, but there may be more so now. I mean, we, we parents worry. It, it's a it's a big and scary world and I, I think we, we believe and probably with good reason that our kids don't appreciate all the dangers that are out there. You know, we wanna make the decisions at least until they're 40. <laughs> we, we, we wanna always be there. And in Acts 20, it sounds like Paul has to fight that tendency. He knows in his heart that he's been a good parent to this young church. But he knows the dangers lurk and that poor decisions can be made. And it grieves him to give up the direct influence he had. Is the church at Ephesus ready to face the challenges that lie ahead? Maybe Paul has his doubts. And yet he has other work to do. As he says, he has a is a course to finish, like a race to finish. My kids are in their twenties. You know, for each of them, they have a lifetime of decisions yet to be made. You know, goals to to be set and meet, regrets to reflect on. Sometimes they turn to Mary and me for for advice and guidance, and sometimes they don't. And like Paul, we we let go of control, but you never let go of love, and the worry that comes with it. The uncertainty of change is scary. It's almost there's almost a cottage industry in, in corporate America of change management, because. Because it's so hard for for some folks to, to change how they do things, or to, to be told that they have to learn to do their job differently or work from a different location. Could be anything. Maybe we're scared this time of year for you know for our kids, but maybe it's also, Uncertainty from a job change, or a career change, or uncertainty from health issues. Control is comforting, but there is so much we can't control. In Acts 20, I see Paul reminding the Ephesus leaders how he's been a good shepherd to him, to them. But I also hear Paul reminding himself of the foundation he laid in that church and what's left for him is what's left for us to trust that God is as good as we believe him to be in our calmer calmer moments anyway and that God is for us even as we can't always feel that in the moment especially when we're stressed out and anxious Paul knows he has a path to follow He's resolved not only to trust in the work he has done at Ephesus, but also the path that God laid out for him. So he is not making a retirement speech to the church at Ephesus. But he had made the decision to obey the Holy Spirit as it directs him to Jerusalem, even though that doesn't sound like the most pleasant of prospects. Obedience. Never sounds like something to be excited about. You know, our culture certainly doesn't tell us that we should gravitate towards obedience. You know, instead, it tells us that we need to be our own people, to be self actualized and self realized, the boss of our lives, the CEOs of our own careers. But at its core, Christianity tells us something very different. It tells us that our fullest lives lie in obeying Jesus and in following him. Even as when we do that, we do it so imperfectly. So this is a time of year when many of us are on the doorsteps of transitions. Maybe it's in our families, maybe it's in our work lives, maybe it's in our education, I urge you to trust in the foundations that you've laid, both for yourselves and for others. And that remind yourselves that God is good and he's for you. And he's for the ones you love. And seek his guidance. And as best you can, follow it. Jesus tells us that his way offers abundant life. That was our theme for this year's day camp. Abundant life is is not a life of leisure or riches or popularity or anything that maybe the world defines as abundant. But it's deeply fulfilling. even as we recognize that it's not always easy. And so we trust. We trust again. And we obey some more. And we lean into Jesus with, with all we can. You know, th- this, this faith of ours is so simple, but it's also so wonderfully mysterious. And we need to give up our control to embrace that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is a This is a season of transition. Sometimes it feels like the calm before a storm. There's excitement. There's uncertainty. Help us to lean into you. Remind us that you are good. Give us peace in the foundations that we've laid. and the faith to let go in areas where we need to. We thank you that you are good, always. In Jesus' name, amen.